ladies and gentlemen, hear them pour. It's the Beer Geeks Radio Hour on WYLK. Well, 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 what's going on, northeastern Pennsylvania? Welcome to the Beer Geeks on WLK. Um, yeah, we're going to drink some beers, hanging out, talking a little bit of beer with a little local brewery goodness in the form of Joe Prococo from Soul Brewing. How you hey doing? Hey, guys, man? how you doing? Is it, is, it, is it okay just to say Soul, or do I have to put the artisan nails on there? Uh, soul's just fine. Okay. I, I, it's, it's a mouthful when I answer the phone, <laughs> you know, so I get it. So, yeah, he's in the house today. We're going to be talking his beer, uh, his brewery, his whatever, and, uh, yeah. So what's going on? We got actually a super full house today because beer. That Sadly, suck. no Billy. Sadly, no Billy. Billy will be back eventually. Um, out doing Billy things. It's summertime. He does a lot of things out there in uh, in the real worlds. So uh, <laughs> he'll eventually be back. But uh, yeah, we got a um, little Joe from NAP Beer Reviews. What's going on, How's dude? How's it going? A little meat smoke on the other side of the table today. How's it going? <laughs> Brad and. Uh, uh, not Brad, sorry. Yeah. George and uh, and Steve doing George and Steve things. Yeah, that's pretty much accurate. Yeah. And there's Joe. What's going on? It's not the first time you've been here, right? You've done a beer buzz a couple I've times, right? I've been in this room, I think, four times, five yeah. times, um, which makes me a bit embarrassed to how many uh, breweries I've worked at before this. But mm-hmm. I've been here once for Barley Creek, once for Saucony Creek. That was the end of the creeks. Um, and then, <laughs> well, uh, end of the creek name, so hopefully yeah. you'll be making a creek eventually. And then uh, for uh, Funk and Soul, um, I might have been on twice for Funk. Um, but yeah, for my own stuff most recently. Nice. Nice. So before we get into his beers, let's get in a little bit of beer news and stuff like that. Uh, first things first, a little uh, local um, craptasticness, I guess you would say. Yingling Brewery got fined a heap ton of money this week. Uh, got fined uh, oh. $2.8 million. For what? For uh, water uh, problems, water issues, cleanliness in their water. Ooh. And they have to do a $7 million upgrade to their oh. system. I, th- I thought it was like the amount that they were uh, they were dumping that would go then into the, uh, the treatment facility. Is that what it was? I think so. Okay. You know, I think that's a huge thing with breweries, with the chemicals going down the drain. A lot of us would love to say we really uh, neutralize it accurately, but there's so much going on that it, it's hard to monitor. So I can see how a big slip-up on their part would be a large sum of money. Especially at that scale. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure they have people that are just dedicated to that. You hope yeah. they would be. But, yeah. I mean, at the same time, when you're producing that much beer, where they're like... I mean, they're kind of somewhere in between, like, the big guys in the middle. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They're above, what are they, are they above Sam Adams for his production yeah. goes? Yeah, now that they're considered craft, I, yeah, I believe, well, yeah. Yeah, that's whatever. But, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's a pretty hefty sum, but I'm sure they'll get past it. And you won't be not you won't not be seeing any yingling on your shelves anytime soon. Or missing any yingling, I guess you'd say. Uh, well, let's see what else. Uh, the whole... Uh, I hate the Brexit thing. I hate that acronym. I don't like it. Um, the whole Britain leaving the EU thing, but it definitely damaged AB InBev. They're saying their market value of their company, they lost $17 billion just from that Uh-oh, separation. Man. So, I mean, I'm sure that's about you know, buck two fifty in their, in their minds as yeah, far really. as, like, their cost of whatever. But, uh, yeah, that, that sucks. Just a bit. For, I mean, for that amount... Yeah, I mean, seven, I mean, I know I have seventeen million dollars on me right now, but I mean, for yeah, that, you have that laying around five, the house. Five. Yeah, so, so yeah, we have that, and then um, let's see. There's the Colorado Brewers Guild didn't really disband. It has had a bunch of people kind of bounce out on it real quick because I guess the combination of ABM, Bev, and Breckenridge kind of being involved in it, they were, weren't cool with it. So you had a bunch of people kind of um, jump the shark. What, what do you know about I can that, see Brad? That. Yeah, um, I guess they were voting recently on. 
Breckenridge staying in. Now, Breckenridge has signed a deal similar to what, like, Goose Island has, where they keep control of something above their baseline beers. So they're still, like, in their own mind, craft beer. So the Colorado Guild voted to see if they could stay, and they said yes. And the top 14 brewers in that state, like, you know, led by, I want to say New Belgium, which was like, okay, see ya. And they left. Like, you know, so they're no longer part of the Brewers Guild. And I think there's talks of them, like, creating their own. Yeah, I can see that. Well, I mean, and there was just that, um, the issue with uh, Oscar Blues, I believe there was, that one um, one person in the guild kind of called them out on that, um, on the issues they had with... Um, with them kind of doing the things they do. So it's kind of like unique, I guess you would say, but at the same time they're taking a stand. What do they do though? Do they get from here? Do they actually go out and create their own guild? Or is this more just like a protest and then they'll ha- come back when everything gets settled? Like, Yeah, I mean, when these guilds were created, craft beer was so different and so much less segmented. Mm-hmm. Now you can put guys into subcategories as, you know, me example, Gypsy Brewer. Like, what are my, you know, annual productions going to look like? Uh, being that I'm going through another brewery, you know, how do you classify the guys that got bought out? So the rules of yesteryear don't really seem to work anymore, and people are trying to figure that out. And that's, I mean, that's that's a lot of the problem with, um, I mean, the world in general, but beer, uh, everybody has this kind of business model or this stance on how they approach things, but the world changes around them, and they, but they want to do things the way it's always been done, but that's not how life works. We yeah. need to evolve and change. You just can't be as strict as just one way to do everything. And I can't tell you how many guys came to me with my, I have a brewery consulting company, too, that I help people build breweries. Um, I can't tell you how many guys came to me and read Sam Calgione's Brewing Up a Business and, you know, uh, Dick Cantwell's book and like, hey, man, by the time those things got published, there was some stuff that you shouldn't be taking so literally. I mean, yeah. look at the and, recent uh, Dogfish Head. Yeah, the whole consultant thing, I get it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's always funny when you have people like that. If they've never actually created or opened a brewery and yeah. then they want to tell you how to run it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, always yeah. been a, a funny way to go about things. Um, move on to a couple little uh, beer releases. Um, never had this, but we might get this in our area now that New Belgium does get their uh, does get expansion or distribution out here. Is their chocolate chip cookie dough, the New Belgium Ben & Jerry's beer. That's coming back. Um, when it originally was released, I would say, what was it, a year and a half ago or something like that? We didn't see it, so now you might see it. Is that, a, uh, is that a Lips of Faith beer, or is that uh, No, it's just, it's, it's a, just a regular, uh, I don't want to call it a regular release, but it's a collab they actually did with Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, okay. Okay. and it's kind of just a one-off thing they do. I mean, it makes sense, you know, in, in a um, kind of, you know, guttural flavor sense, you know, chocolate chip cookie dough, who doesn't like that? Do you know what I'm I mean? I'm going to do a collab with Ben and George's going towards Susquehanna on the side of the road there. Have you seen that place? Ben and George's, where is that? It's an ice cream place. It's like right on uh, Oak Street. Yeah? Yeah. Is it? Good stuff. Oh, I don't know. It was a sarcastic comment. Oh, okay. I've never been. There. <laughs> I don't speak sarcasm. It's an so. obvious. I was totally fine. For the only person <laughs> like that really lives around this area, I got where you're yeah, exactly yeah. where you were talking Joe's about. Joe's face so. is lighting up over here. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, now uh, on the next one, it seems like a maybe a flavor that's like being uh, maybe it's just me. But a flavor that's going to be kind of du jour this year because we've had a couple beers. Me and you, Joe, reviewed a couple beers with this flavor, and it seems like a lot of people are doing it. Oscar Blues are coming out with a passion fruit pinner throwback IPA. Seems like passion fruit is like a big kind of mm-hmm. fruit to be thrown in beers of late. A lot of like pseudo sours goes and stuff like that. So yeah, jump on the Lilacoy train. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> such a good beer. So who wouldn't want to do it? And last but not least, another brewery jumping on the can train. 
we have uh, Lagunitas coming out with their 12th of Never Ale in cans. So, I don't know. Lagunitas hasn't produced a can yet, have they? I don't think so. Not that I know of, no. Yeah, so, yeah, there you go. Maybe, I mean, playing a name, uh, 12th of Never, maybe there, it's the one day time they said they would never, ever put anything in a can. Maybe it's playing that, or maybe it's a joke, or maybe they're being sarcastic, and I'm not picking up on it. So, <laughs> who knows? They also said they were going to stay independent. Oh. Well, you know, people change their minds about a lot of things. So. shade over there. Yeah. <laughs> Meat smoke, bringing the heat. So let's crack in a little bit of soul goodness right now. We got a little bit of uh, Simcoe Nerd. This is your latest release, right, uh, Joe? Yeah, definitely. Last weekend? Mm-hmm. How'd that go for you? Um, really couple, funny. Couple Actually, showed up, I, like I just three? showed up to the brewery to uh, to grab this case out of the cooler. And there was this, like, crazy wrapped car from Connecticut. And on the back, it had, like, 35 bumper stickers, drink Vermont beer, blah, 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 all these uh, different breweries and stuff like that. And they were on their phones looking at social media. They looked at my van and looked at me and saw that there was no other cars in the parking lot. I think they were here for last week's release. Really? Last Sunday's release, yeah. And then they looked at me and kind of laughed and then drove away. Um, So I hope they didn't drive down just from Connecticut for that. That is, uh, I mean, one, that's dedication. Two, that's also a, uh, you should probably be a little bit more mindful of your uh, schedule when you're looking (laughs) to go stand in line for a little bit of beer. So, um, but yeah, this is uh, your newest release. Yeah, so this is the newest release. Uh, We did really well when we released this on Father's Day. Uh, We didn't know how it was going to go. I cased an extra 50 cases because... I thought maybe Father's Day could be super heavy because the dads get to do what they want to do. We get a lot of dads at the can releases. Um, In reality, it was the other way around, and we saw a lot less dads getting to come out and do things, I guess, for favor of family activities. But um, So we had a few cases left over. I sent about 10 to Shangies. They sold out in, like, something stupid, like, seven minutes and 35 seconds um, at their retail store in Emmaus, which is cool. Gave some people the opportunity to get the beer that couldn't make it to the release, so... Um, yeah, I'm really happy with how this one came out. Uh, for whatever it's worth, the ratings online have been decent, and um, I personally think this is the best higher alcohol hoppy beer that I've come out with so far, in my personal taste. Now, you, you came out with this before this. You had uh, Turbo Nerd. Yep. Um, so what, the difference between Turbo Nerd and Simcoe Nerd is more just a single hop yeah, variety. It's, it's not like a dry hop version of Turbo Nerd. It's just a single hop no, version. Yeah, of, Turbo Nerd's dry hopped five different times um, with around seven or eight pounds per barrel. So to give you a rough idea, um, in the book Hops put out by the Brewers Association, um, they say anything past like a pound or two pounds per barrel would be so crazy that they don't even advise it. And we do about seven or eight. So Turbo Nerd's already crazy. Um, but the split in hops there is Simcoe, Azaka, and Centennial. So with Simcoe Nerd, we just focus on one of those hops, Simcoe, obviously. And we substitute that for all of the Whirlpool and Dry Hops. 100% Simcoe. Um, in the future, we're hoping to get crazy with this. Uh, I've got a thousand pounds of Citra on the way. It's going to be uh, just for one batch of beer for Citra Nerd coming up. <laughs> well, that sounds that's almost borderline pornographic. I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk <laughs> that in depth about things on, on the FM radio here, but uh, let's do this. Let's go to break, um, and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more, get in depth, because start from the beginning, um, from where you kind of kicked it off brewery wise, kind of go in depth with Soul Brewing on the Beer Geeks on WILK. 
Hey everyone, want some close to home outdoor fun? Join the Keystone Active Zone Passport to create your own backyard adventure exploring local parks, trails, and outdoor events. It's fun, easy, and free. Discover the DNL Trail, enjoy guided walks, bike rides, and river festivals. Register at kazpassport.org. That's kazpassport.org. The more places you visit, the more chances you have to win great prizes like family days at Montage Mountain, whitewater river tours, gift certificates, and more. Start exploring today. The Keystone Active Zone Passport is brought to you by a partnership of Pennsylvania Intercom Communications and area organizations and businesses. For more information, visit kazpassport.org or call the Wilkes-Barre YMCA at 570-208-9622. That's 570-208-9622. No purchase necessary. Hi, I'm Carl Deichler, the CEO of Beachbody, and I'm here to tell you about an amazing new way you can start losing weight for free right now. You've probably seen our workout DVDs on TV like P90X, Insanity, and 21 Day Fix. We just launched a beta trial of our new digital video platform, Beachbody On Demand. So while we're testing out this new digital video service, I'm inviting you to use it for free for 30 days. That means you can lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, even 30 pounds without paying a dime. Text the word TRIAL to 303030 and you can do 30 days of P90X, Insanity, or any of over 400 workouts for free. Now here's the catch. In return, all I ask is you let us know what you think of the service so we can make Beachbody On Demand the best fitness and weight loss site ever created. Just text TRIAL to 303030 and get started for free right now. Again, text TRIAL to 303030. Message and data rates may apply. Membership fees apply after 30-day free trial. Cancel anytime. Full of positive energy, exuberant flow, and optimistic attitude, the beautiful Corolla is the latest high-definition porcelain wood-inspired introduction from Florida Tile. With strikingly dynamic green and a beautiful satin finish, the vivid texture and unique colorations in each plank lend an exciting spirit to your space. Corolla also reduces allergens in the home, promotes clean air is fire retardant, easier to maintain, and more resistant to wear. Corolla by Florida Tile, now available at Tile Distributors of America. Monday Street, Wilkes-Barre. Does your garage need an upgrade? You could win a brand new 2016 Chevrolet Camaro from Tom Hesser's Chevrolet. Plus a check for over $15,000. Click on the Camaro in your garage banner at WILKnewsRadio.com now to enter. Make your garage makeover wish list by placing the 10 garage items in the order you want. If you match the correct order, you win a 2016 Chevrolet Camaro plus a check for over $15,000 courtesy of Tom Hesser Chevrolet see official rules at wilknewsradio.com slash rules Good lead-in music, man. I don't even want to talk. I just want to sit here and listen. That's None of talking. us are wearing headphones, but we can hear. Oh, that's out of that's hands. a you problem, not not a me problem. I can <laughs> I can just sit here and jam out. Uh, welcome back to the Beer Geeks and WILK. Talk a little bit of beer with uh, Joe Percoco from Soul Brewing. So let's do the prerequisite. Start from the beginning. How'd you get into beer? Moved to Staten Island when I was 17 to get my own apartment. Bad idea. Uh, <laughs> well, Staten Island's yeah. a bad idea anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, smelled like garbage, needed to get out of the heat and the smell, so I went into a bed, bath, and beyond to get into the, you know, fresh air and uh, saw a Mr. Beer kit. 
got it, brewed with it, tasted it, threw it out, came up to Jeb's homebrew, actually, um, around here. Is that, am I saying that right? In Drums? Uh, I forget the name. I know you're talking about. Yeah, 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 I don't even. I don't know if he's still open or what. But uh, got a real homebrew kit. The rest is history. Applied to a ton of breweries in uh, New York, uh, in the Poconos where I grew up. Um, having a hard time being 18 and uh, getting a professional brewing job. So went up to Barley Creek in the Poconos and drove there for like 11 days in a row, I think, to try to see the guy who I was supposed to talk to. And they thought I was local. They're like, yeah, just just come back. Just, the, you know, they're putting me off. 18-year-old kid. And uh, I really wanted the freaking job. So I finally, after like 11 days of driving from New York City, decided it wasn't a good idea anymore. I sat the owner down and I said, listen, man, I'll get out of your hair. Just give me two weeks to prove myself. I really want to do this job. If you don't like me, tell me to beat it. You'll never see me again. So I worked for two weeks, um, and uh, they liked me, so I stayed. Ended up running that place for a couple of years, the, the brewing side. Um, really fun, 10-barrel brew house, uh, authentic English Peter Austin system with the brick-laden kettle, open fermentation. So I actually started with some crazy stuff that's becoming... Not becoming cool, but becoming more widespread now that yeah. people are experimenting with. Uh, that was just the norm for me, getting into it. Um, got to do my internship in Portland, Maine at a shipyard brewing company who, you know, Alan Pugsley started the Peter Austin system and brought that from England. And the scale on that, I mean, just alone learning how to work on a big system, yeah, you they, know? They, uh, they said to me, all right, uh, you're going to brew wheat beer today. Um, it's going to be 100 barrels. But our brew kettle's only 50 barrels, so we built another 50-barrel one next to it. It's all manual brick flame copper top kettles. They're like, you just got to crawl under the kettle and adjust the flame burner. Like, think about, like, 100 barbecue grills all at once. And uh, you got to brew on these two things, and it's real close to the ceiling. And uh, you are one of three 100-barrel batches that are going to be menage a in this giant square open-top fermenter. And I'm like, holy shit. So they were taking me around the place and they showed me this big open top fermenter and it just fills up so much with CO2 that there are two guys and their full time job. The one guy is like, you know, one of your crazy picture, your craziest buddy. He wears a harness and he's hooked up to a pulley and he gets in there and scrubs the inside of the tank until he passes out with CO2. Then the other guy yanks him out and he gets a break and then he goes back in again. Hypothetically, because OSHA would go if this is actually legitimately happening. Yeah, so, yeah this yeah. is all just in theory. Hypothetically. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, they had the safety precautions. Oh, you know, okay. They had it yeah. down. So, Buddy system, um, you know. And this is when, when you originally started there. What was that? What year? Uh, 2009. Okay. Yeah. So you're at Shipyard. Um, you're you're, um, you're, yeah, passing, you're passing out every now and then. And uh, got to brew some beer and, and then came back home and kind of fine-tuned what I had already known about the Peter Austin system. Um, cousin of mine put me in contact with a guy opening a brewery in Kutztown, uh, wanted my help, ended up moving out there and doing some consulting for him for Saucony Creek Brewing. Um, didn't actually ever brew there. Uh, ended up moving on. I worked at the Brew Works after that for... About six months. That's where I uh, I met Bo Badden, who's now the head brewer at SBC. Yeah. Um, Which must be nice. Huge, you know what I mean? That yeah. You have him there. Having yeah. him there now, I, I would say out of like the four people I would consider my friends, he's one of them. Uh, I don't <laughs> <laughs> don't get a lot of downtime to hang out, but uh, Bo was a huge influence. Um, took all the authentic British old timey um, techniques and 
kind of had me throw him out the window and do his super clean, super sanitary, high production volume, um, top quality brewing methods, which was a really cool addition to what I already knew. So uh, working at Brewworks for a few years and decided that I was either going to go to brewing school or go live in Belgium for a month. Um, <laughs> so I talked to a bunch of guys who went to brewing school and they said, well, we went to brewing school and we're doing the same job right next to you. So maybe it would be more advantageous to go to Belgium for you at this point. So uh, Laura, my wife now, uh, we were just dating at that point. We went over to Europe and lived there for a month. Uh, got to intern in a couple breweries over there. Um, most notable that people like to hear about is I got to brew at Cantillon, um, which is a really cool experience um, and a crazy brewery. That, yeah, that doesn't suck. Yeah. You go in there no, get the loons up in you. Yeah. <laughs> So I uh, did that, came home, brewing job at Weyerbacher, uh, did a lot of jobs there, but the last jobs I had were on, you know, production brewing side. Um, left there to start Funk with uh, Kyle and Norm and um, built that. They kind of gave me the reins, said, design some stuff, uh, design your recipes. You, I was basically the only employee for like a year, then I got an assistant, and then uh, after about a year and a half there, I told him, Hey, it's time. I wanna, I wanna do my own place, and they really respected it. So, um, we had a nice eight-week transition where I kind of helped those guys get into the brewery more, and uh, they're still making good beer. And I'm off doing soul. Now, the um, where were you gonna go? To, did you have an idea of where you wanted to go to school? If you were gonna go to school, or was it just go to Siebel, or was it just I more like talked to the applications officer at Siebel, and with the experience I already had. Um, You're wasting your time. He, no, he told me they'd love to have me. Oh. I don't... There'd be some things that are redundant or maybe yeah. slightly different than what I already knew, but he would. He said, you know, you're a great candidate. Uh, I also looked at the Brewers Guild, but for the amount of money it costs and what I could... I looked at it as like a business plan. I go to school, I invest this much money. Is it going to make me get paid that much more? And the, really the answer was no. In the foreseeable jobs that I was going to get in the brewing industry at that time. So you go to Belgium, um, and you did KTM. Where else did you go? Just because I'm, um, Belgium is my jam. Yeah. You know? Where else in Belgium? Yeah, or where did, else in Europe? Uh, both. Um, we spent a lot of time actually in Istanbul, in Turkey. Okay. Um, blooming craft beer scene there. Uh, very unique because it's kind of this no rules, no mold to fit in um, thing. So we had a friend out there and stayed there. We went to Scotland. Um, I got to see a lot of the you know UK cask beer technique. Um, we went to France. That kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, we didn't enjoy it. Let's just put it that way. Is it because it was how rigid it was or the way they kind of uh, uh, foreigners are welcomed well, in the scene? I guess it was Paris. So it's worth saying that we went to Paris. That's like somebody visiting New York City and maybe running into one of my uncle's going, hey, yo, hey, and then saying, I hate the United <laughs> States, that place, you know, yeah. if they didn't like it. So um, went to Paris. It was just really, they had high expectations of foreigners, and we did not fit into those expectations. With, um, with, uh, and, uh, with Cantillon, like, uh, or wh where did you feel like you learned the most? Was it at Cantillon, or was it a specific place, or was it a Cantillon specific Cantillon, for experience? sure. We visited okay. some other breweries and, and saw some cool uh, monastic brewing Um Cantillon was by far the most influential because you walk in and there's, you know, leather pulleys on wooden wagon wheels. Like, it, it's just like a muse It is a museum. Um, 
So my Cantillon story was I really wanted to brew there. We went there. We did the tour. We drank some Lambic. And the following day I said, um, excuse me, I said, uh, I, I really want to come back and brew here. So I called up and I figured out. They said the next brew day is going to be the last brew day of the year because they brew seasonally based on the outside temperatures. And uh, it was like next Thursday. And I said, okay, I got to come next Thursday. So I showed up at like five in the morning on their doorstep with all my luggage. And I, and John Van Roy, the owner and brewer, walks up and he says, who are you? And I said, my name's Joe. I came from the United States to brew here. And this is all my stuff. And I came to brew. Here I am. And he was like, uh, you have to be family to brew here. So then I was like, Oh man, I didn't even think about that. So like all his <laughs> helpers and everything, they do different jobs, but he's the brewing. It's a family tradition. So um, he said, "But you can follow the brew," and I'm like, "Okay, cool." There's, you know, I didn't show up here for nothing. So he had me follow the brew, and uh, <laughs> he thought it like I thought it was so great. I'm in this like brewing museum, one of the best breweries in the world. He doesn't know who I am, and I get to follow follow the brew. He was really because he brought his dog to work and he thought it was the most amazing thing that his dog ate the barley off the floor out of his hand. He had a DSLR camera with a tripod like taking pictures of this dog eating barley. <laughs> like That was the focus of like most of the morning. He said, the kids will never believe this. This dog is a brewer. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, can you tell me about the process? You know, so anyway, it was interesting. I wasn't doing any brewing. I was follow- following the brew. Um, in the morning when we collect the first runnings, the first wort, he collects it in the Faro jug and he says, uh, it's tradition. We all come together. We drink the first runnings all as a family. So we did that. It was cool. And, uh, the real turning point was at lunch. Um, when I stole, I snuck away from lunch and stole one of the guy's big rubber brewing boots to go dig out the mash because that is the worst job in the brewery. Um, John Roy came in, uh, started yelling at the guy who thought gave me the boots and put me up to it and I said no 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 this is what I came to do and he like died laughing hysterically and for the rest of the day let me brew he uh had me weigh out hops throw stuff in so really cool experience um I won't I won't ever forget it it's I mean it's microcosm of people that if you want to get in a beard pick you know go do Pick the crappiest job there is yeah. and just volunteer to do that, and you never know what will happen. Yeah. Um, so you go there, you come you come back to Pennsylvania, and then it sounds like you kind of just start helping breweries kind of get off the ground yourself. I mean, you know, this mutual you yeah. know, symbiotic relationship there, but you, you help people kind of get it off the ground, whether it's, you know, working at Weyerbacher or uh, Funk and whatnot. Then you decide to do your own thing. Yeah why the gypsy path as opposed to the traditional like yeah a uh, lot of reasons um the we'll start off by the the breweries I, re, I was involved with um it was kind of you know getting a young energetic brewer really marries well with i want to start a new brewery in this day and age so um it was definitely a great choice for me to go help these other people and as we were excuse me as i was helping them start and grow their business, I noticed that there was a lot of issues that comes with having a huge passion for something that you did at home and then trying to go into business without having, you know, without having been in that business for a while. So I saw a lot of financial issues and a lot of just the growing pains of starting a new brewery. And I started to think in my mind, is there a way I can circumvent 
a lot of these issues or circumvent a lot of, you know, as a brewer at, at some of these young breweries, there were times where I couldn't make the beer I wanted because that ingredient cost too much. And there was a barrier there that all of a sudden stopped us from making the best beer possible because of money. And to me, that felt like a sellout. So I said, what could we exchange in my business to make sure we always use the best ingredients. We always throw seven, eight pounds per barrel of hops, you know, and it's not a bottom line that prevents me from doing that. And the sacrifice I had to make was owning the equipment. That's basically it. But isn't there like, isn't there a give and take with that? Because then a perfect example would be Cantillon. Now you work there, you probably have this you want to make this crazy sour beer, mm-hmm. but it, it, the brewery's not going to be like, oh, do not get even yeah. think about doing that here. Yeah. Stay away. You know what I mean? So there's that mm-hmm. kind of give and take where you, you could do what you want, but at the same time, there's a little bit, okay, I can't do everything I want because I don't own the place. Right. And and there is that for sure. And uh, part of what really drew me to Susquehanna and what keeps me at Susquehanna um, is just how Mark, Ed, and Fred how like understanding and willing to grow with me they are. Um, originally, they were going to be one of many places I was going to gypsy brew, which is probably more like gypsy brewing than what I'm doing. Yeah. But there was this one turning point where Mark, one of the owners of Susquehanna, looked at me, and I was asking permission to use everything when I was working there because I actually do a lot of the work myself. And he, he said, Joe, just cut it out. This is your home too now. And I was like, <laughs> man, that is such a cool gesture. So um, where I'm going with this is, as we've grown, and they've had some personnel changes, obviously Bo is now uh, head brewer there, and he's got you know gold medals for sours and wood-aged beers. Um, with new leadership there, they're definitely open to all the things I've always wanted to do, and it kind of comes in the best point in my business where I've got some things going on one front, and I'm able to now start investing in fooders and barrels and get a sour program going. Um, we just bought two 10-barrel uh, 300 gallon tanks to do some experimental uh, sours and saisons in. They're like uh, square DuPont tanks. So, yeah. yeah, we got a lot of stuff going on. And, and is that what you're going to do basically when it comes to like the sour end of things? Or are you just going to start like brewing the beer in house and then like have a section or area you're going to bring the beer to and then do sour them somewhere else? Yeah, no, ju- it would just be another part of the brewery, another okay. part of the, yeah. Okay. Building. Um, and then, like, with all that being said, it sounds like you're absolutely ecstatic about where you are as far as, like, where you're working oh, and yeah. stuff. Do you still eventually someday want to open your own place? I mean, I'm sure that's yeah. down in in your mind somewhere, but yeah, distant um, future? Or? Ultimately, the thing that I like about having my own brewery is obviously getting to work on the equipment, have the equipment my way 100%. Um, but... Again, that's a a sacrifice because I get to work on not only a brewing system. This isn't a brewing system I could afford. This is a... One of the best brewing systems in the country. Yeah, one of the best (laughs) brewing systems in the country. So then I look at, you know, what is the ultimate reason why I do this? It's to make the best beer I possibly can. I'm not going to sacrifice quality of beer just to to own it. Um, What we are working on is is a sort of dispensary, tap house sort of outlet for our beer and have a really cool headquarters where we just don't brew right now. so that's in the works for a while, and uh, we'll be announcing some interesting details about that soon. Oh, nice. A little bit of a teaser action. Um, now, let's speak to that, going from like where you're brewing, what you're doing beer-wise, to moving to Susquehanna. Did that, how much did that change your beer as far as like efficiency, the whole nine across the board? Like, yeah. Did it take you a while to adjust to that system? There was, you know, excuse me, um, multiple points during some of the early brews where 
you know, what we, what I had expected to get based on my background, even working, doing the same batch sizes at Weyerbacher. I mean, we did seven or eight mashes a day at Weyerbacher. Um, the efficiency on that system we had to adjust for. It's just so efficient um, and so good at, at, at timing things out. Um, even though, you know, it's just like any brewery, sometimes we have issues, we struggle with equipment. The result of that brewery can be a more, you know, um, efficient, cleaner, um, if you want, clearer, you know, more filtered product or, you know, anything we want to do, we can do. Whereas we are limited by some other brewing systems in the past, for sure. So it, it was definitely a, some growing pains. But once you have it dialed in, um, we basically write a program to brew beer. We brew beer on a computerized system with automated valves. So if I trip and fall running to the valve, it's it doesn't mean anything here. It's it's all done the same every time. And then what's that? It, what's it like to go like wood feeding a fire for a brewery and then and then working in a leather pulleyed like like dust haven yeah. to this automated mon, I don't want to say monstrosity but mm-hmm. in a good way yeah a machine that just is it just does what you want it to do it's like almost like the best worker you could ever have in your life yeah it it is really crazy but a lot of what the Germans have done when they built this system it's a browcon system is they give you the the manual side too. If you want to, you can take the reins and do what you want to do. Uh, we just did uh, a dry hopped Keller Pills called uh, Eurospliff. It's going to be coming out soon, draft only. Um, we used Mandarina hops in there and Hull Melon. It's going to be really nice. And I wanted to do it authentic. I wanted to do decoction mash. So we we were able to do like a super crazy, you know, complicated decoction mash with a lot more ease, but still get the same quality and same result. So. It really gives me a little bit more I can do, especially being, you know, I do work with Bo a lot, and I do work with uh, Susquehanna's team, but being one person and kind of designing the whole thing where if I had to do it myself on this giant system and produce as much beer as we are, it kind of needs to be this way. You know, wood feeding a fire would be really cool and really rustic and definitely appeals to me, but I just wouldn't be here talking to you. Yeah. I wouldn't have anything um, to show for it, so... Yeah, it's it's interesting. And then as far as actually like the the brewing that you do do, like who's involved with it most of the time? Like is it just almost like 90% yourself or do you have a couple other people that you brought on now? Or So it's interesting having an automated brew house because a lot of the work is basically done by Bo and I prior to brew day. Um, I'll send Bo my recipe. The recipe is completely up to me and a lot of times he laughs at me for having too much oats or using ingredients in beer that really shouldn't be in that style historically. Um, and we have a good time going back and forth about ideas and fermentation temperatures and dry hopping schedule. Uh, the big joke around the brewery is I'm a pain in the butt when it comes to dry hopping. We actually invested in a, a Susquehanna invested in a hop can and Fred and I bought it off the floor at the, uh, 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 shoot, the big trade show in Philadelphia, the, uh, CBC, CBC um, just uh, you know, a month or so ago, and we went up to this guy and we're like, oh, that's a cool hop can. And he's like, you can have it, you local, you can have it. <laughs> we bought this thing, and it just made dry hopping so much easier. But um, basically it starts with me and Bo, and uh, I tell him what I want to do. He gives his suggestions about how it will best fit the system or his schedule or his staff schedule, and, and we brew it to that spec. And... Uh, a lot of it gets basically inputted in the computer during brew day. Bo and I are drinking a lot of coffee. It's not like <laughs> this glorious thing in some of my previous jobs where you're running up with grain sacks over your shoulder and dumping them in. Um, big, you know, brown rubber boots because you're standing in puddles of dirty old beer. Like, that just never happens at, 
and shouldn't happen at a good brewery. <laughs> um, it definitely, what we do, will never make the cover of any cool brewing magazine, though. Yeah, work smarter, yeah. not harder. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, let's do this. Good stuff, man, so far. Let's uh, let's take another break, and we're going to come back on the other side and talk a little bit more, uh, a couple of more angles about um, the whole uh, local beer world and soul brewing and stuff like that. So join us in uh, after the commercials here on the Beer Geeks and WILK. Comcast Business knows how to take your business to the next level. That's why we introduced Comcast Business Wi-Fi Pro. With next-level speed, coverage, marketing, and control features. All designed to help your business run smoothly. But we didn't stop there. Instead, we took it even further. Which is why Comcast Business Wi-Fi Pro offers what Verizon's business Wi-Fi doesn't. Remote access, advanced security, and access to over 10 million hotspots nationwide. Looks like taking your business to the next level starts with ditching Verizon. Give your business an edge with Comcast Business Wi-Fi Pro. Call 800-501-6000 today. Comcast Business, built for business. Restrictions apply. Available with Comcast Business Deluxe 50 and above. Call Comcast Business for details. Waving to someone and then realizing you don't know them. Embarrassing. Walking through a screen door at a large party. Embarrassing. Talking to your doctor about your poop? Come on, it's your doctor. He's heard it all before. So don't keep a lid on it. Talk to your doctor if you have frequent diarrhea, unexplained weight loss, gas, bloating, or stomach pain. Because if you have just one of these symptoms, you could have a medical condition called exocrine pancreatic insufficiency or EPI. It means your pancreas isn't making enough enzymes to break down the food you eat. But the good news is, EPI is a manageable condition. Go to IdentifyEPI.com and take the symptom quiz. That's IdentifyEPI.com. Print out your answers, bring it to your doctor, and just talk about your symptoms. Don't keep a lid on it. Talk to your doctor. Go to IdentifyEPI.com to learn more. Brought to you by Abby. If sending your firstborn off to college brings a tear to your eye, but only because she's taking the convertible with her, then CarQuest Auto Parts is for you. If you've ever heard last call at an auto parts store, then CarQuest is for you. That's because CarQuest Auto Parts is for those who really know and care about their car. For all your steering and suspension needs, install Moog Parts, the choice of professional technicians. CarQuest is serious auto parts. Visit CarQuest.com. Hey, Dave, let's go over to Joe's place. He's firing his cannon today. His what? Cannon? Are you kidding me? Where did you get that? Wyoming County Weapons. Wyoming County Weapons is a different kind of gun shop. From cannons to rare, collectible, long, and handguns and ammo, Wyoming County Weapons is your best and first choice. And their $25 internet or person-to-person transfer fee is the lowest in the area. Guaranteed. Wyoming County Weapons, two miles past the Beaumont Inn on State Route 309. Wyoming County Weapons. A different kind of gun shop. Get your motor running and join the 10th annual Jason Karazi Poker Run on Sunday, July 31st. Registration begins at 9, starts and ends at Montdale Country Club Grove. This year's Jason Karazi Poker Run means a great day for you, and all proceeds from the event benefit the Jason Karazi Memorial Dark Park being constructed in Archbald. $25 for riders, $15 for passengers. Features live music from Halfway to Hell, Judd Dish, Stingray's Blues Band. The 10th annual Jason Karazi Poker Run, Sunday, July 31st. See you there. I've been down hard. I've been down 
Yeah. Back here in a little bit of Beer Geeks, WILK. Talking local beer with Soul Brewing's Joe Percoco. So, we covered your history, and which is amazing because we covered it all in like 18 minutes, and I didn't think we're going to get even close to that. But We got the cliff notes. Yeah. 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 I oh, wish I could have lived it in 18 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you no, you didn't. Come on now. Um, so, let's let's flip the script a little bit and go a little bit, um, I don't want to say distribution-wise. Now, y- you were making more like uh, six-pack bottles for a mm-hmm. while there, yeah. you're, you're, and then... At some for- point, you started to produce more like can releases mm-hmm. um, and do them out of the brewery. A um, couple questions about that. One, where where are your older beers? Is, are they still being produced on some level? No. Okay. And then two, why switch to the can business model? Well, and out of brewery business model. Right. We uh, we initially obviously went with the uh, twelve ounce squat Sierra Nevada style heritage bottles uh, in six packs. Um, we have a really good graphic designer. We felt that the case itself and the six packs could be a really good canvas for what he could offer um, and help with our brand. So we wanted the bottling because Susquehanna has a killer, again, a killer system, killer bottling line, really good efficiency, really good total packaged air, which means your beer stays fresher, longer, doesn't oxidize. And really, we thought we could give you a superior product in that bottle. And we, we were right. Um, we got everything lab tested, uh, and the the shelf life that we were able to achieve in that packaging system was off the charts. Um, so the other thing that went through my mind was, hey, we've got a really good product. I want to get this out to everybody. We're going big. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to make this many cases in the first couple months, and we're going to send it out everywhere that we'll take it. So we sent this really good beer out to a lot of places, and the first thing that a lot of people did, because it's a new brand that nobody knew, is they put it on the you know the worst real estate shelf real estate possible, um, put it in the back, and even though a lot of it moved really quick because you're a new brand and people are kind of excited to try new things, the cases, the few cases that did sit on the shelf that did get checked in on tapped, you know, three months after I would have liked them to. You know, the cases that people did hold on to or did just find at a store, really, as an artist, as a brewer, kind of upset me that people didn't get that product in its most prime in an awesome package, you know. So we started reevaluating who we wanted to sell to, not who we wanted to sell to, but who we could sell to, to really get that beer across as fresh as possible. And that's where the new business model came in to start incorporating cans. I'll go on the record and say it. And I hope I don't upset anyone. Cans, the way I have to fill them because we don't own a canning line and we use mobile system, does not meet our packaged quality as ter- in terms of shelf life compared to our bottled system. Just because bottled system takes up like the whole room, canning thing, those guys have to be portable with, right? So the total packaged air, the shelf life of my cans are a lot less than my, the same beer in a bottle. However... 500 people line up to buy a case each and drink that in a week or two, it doesn't matter. So we sort of started and tried the can thing out and the response was so great that how could we not go with this? And I don't know if it's a psychological thing with a can. Obviously, can can versus bottle is a a long time argument. Um, My father-in-law for my birthday a couple years ago gave me a dissertation on can versus bottled beer argument like bound thing from the 1800s like yeah that yeah, you it know, doesn't apply to today though right so 
the whole light thing, recyclability, whatever. People want to drink hoppy beers in a 16-ounce can. We oblige them. Um, we, I mean, we talked about it in the past. Like, the 16-ounce yeah. um, like uh, IPA, double IPA thing was almost by accident. Like, breweries couldn't get 12-ounce cans, so they just said, okay, we just have to put stuff in 16-ounce yeah, sure. cans. And it just so happened to be all these newer breweries that didn't have the pull to get the cans they wanted to, and then they're making these amazing beers. Now there's an association... Of yeah. this new amazing beers, they all come in sixteen ounce cans. So and now it's, it's like hard the to get the script. Yeah, now you can't. Yeah. And I've seen you know you have like a couple of breweries come out with twenty ounce cans, <laughs> and it's just like okay, what are you and doing here plastic now? Plastic you know? forty ounce bottles. Yeah, there sold you go. Twenty seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> get Billy D to advertise that for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. And then, like, you do that, you switch from the six-pack bottles to the can releases in-house. And Juice Box was your original first one that you released. Mm -hmm. And it was on a snowy April, I think. It wasn't Yeah, it was um, the uh, Jonas Snowstorm, which we looked it up recently. I forget the date. Uh, But, man, it it was hard. I live (laughs) an hour and 20 minutes away, and we had to shovel ourselves out both days because we were here Friday canning, Saturday stickering by hand, which we still do. And uh, Sunday for the release, I had a guy from my town in Emmaus who showed up two hours before I showed up in the snow. He, like, woke up at 3 to shovel his car out, and people made it. And I was so humbled and surprised that people literally risked their lives. Um, If you guys know Natalie Lay, she came to the first one from, like, middle of Jersey. Central Jersey, Jersey. yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, I mean, people really... So I saw that people were really into this. We weren't now interacting with the store owners, which there's nothing wrong with that. We still have uh, good relationships with all the people we sell to, but we were also interacting directly with the customer. And if I had that path of communication directly to the customer, my beer and my message is going to get across better and hopefully consumed faster and fresher, if that's the intent. And, and, and you always like to connect with the actual like end consumer. Like yeah. the, the, you, know, you know, Distribution is part and parcel of the of the business but at the same time when you can actually sit there and like look the person in the eye who's drinking your beer it's mm-hmm. quite a bit different and um, I mean just to talk about it you know going from bottles to cans we just cracked open is this your last bottle release you've done the uh, Soul Art- Artistry and Alchemy um, Maple Imperial Stout the, this is our last 12 ounce bottle we did the Gypsy Tears recently which is yeah. a weird beer in uh in uh, 22 ounce bottles with a wax, wax top yeah. we're going to continue to do 22 ounce wax tops that was sort of the test run into it and uh, we have our one year anniversary coming up uh, mid-July that'll be our next can release and bottle release and we have a really great new uh, hoppy beer to commemorate as well as a um, dry hopped rustic uh, countryside provision ale uh, sort of a Belgian table beer-esque with a lot of dry hops, uh, and that's going into 22-ounce bottles. Mm. Um, and that's a really special beer for me and sort of a personal project as well. 22-ounce bottles, and that's for your one-year anniversary, yeah? Mm-hmm. And uh, is a 22-ounce cork and cage because it's a Belgian, or is it going to nope. be capped? It's going to be capped. Okay. Yep. And, uh, like, with you going over to Belgium, you obviously you have this kind of... You know, you probably fell in love with Belgian beers enough. It, mm-hmm. Are you doing just your interpretation of a Belgian ale, or are you keeping it strictly Belgian style? Yeah, no, this is not going to be traditional just because of the types of hops we're using. Okay. We're using some Hull Melon and Mandarina Bavaria, uh, German hops, but more new school German hops. And uh, we're also, basically the most Belgian thing about it is the yeast. Um, it's a countryside sort of Flandrian table beer, and uh, it's going to have the sole spin on it. Okay. So let's talk more about these can releases. 
I Actually, want, Brad. Will I want to interrupt a little. I know uh, we haven't really said much in the in the studio <laughs> as uh, guests here or co-hosts or whatever. Um, just listening to you talk, and you were talking about shelf life and all this other stuff. Um, first off, like I want to say, I think your release is great. Like it brings people to the brewery that yeah. that you are working at. So it's, it's like a twofold for you and for them. But the other thing is, like you could tell when you're talking about you're just really critical of your stuff when it comes to shelf life, fresh, and yeah. all this other stuff. I remember, it was probably the first time I met you, I walked into Lindo's, uh, you were there with your wife, mm-hmm. and you were sitting there critiquing, I want to say it was Funked Out Soul. Right, yeah, it collaboration. Was, and it was on tap probably, this might have been a month after you guys kegged it, uh-huh. or something like that, and I remember you were just sitting there and you just kept critiquing it and critiquing it and like just kind of breaking it down to the point where Lindo told you to shut up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he does uh, that a lot. You know, do, do, do you find that that helps you or hinders you sometimes? That like, I don't know. That you, I don't think you're that... so self-critical of stuff. But I mean, I understand it's what you're making. Maybe I feel like I could ditch the blood pressure medication if I like <laughs> chill down a little bit. Um, my wife thinks I'm nuts. Lindo, my second wife, people think makes thinks I'm nuts. But don't you have to be a little bit nuts to make a good beer? I think so. I mean, if you think I'm bad, hang out with Bo one day. We had a barbecue last night out back. Yeah. That guy, I don't think he's thought he ever made a good beer yet. He'll give me something he made, and I'll be like, this is phenomenal. And he'll say, ah. This sucks. I got to try again. I mean, I think that's sort of the you know Einsteinian you know. It doesn't matter what you do, whether it's uh, art, which beer is, but at the same time sports or whatever. If you're like, well, I am the best at what I do, then you probably hang them up because you're probably not, yeah. and you just don't have the drive to do what you need yeah. to do. I, mean, I could I can relate to that as well. I'm like super critical of my own beers. Mm-hmm. Like the the one Galaxy IPA. Like I've done three batches of this. I'm like the third batch. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm happy with this batch now. That's yeah. three times that I've done it. And then let's kind of speak to that, like, a little bit outside of, the, like, self-criticalness. What's it like to be a brewer and, and see your... Because, you know, I do, I do like, video reviews and stuff, and I talk uh-huh. about your beers and stuff like that. What's it like to see somebody else kind of talk about your beers in, in that sense? We have a dartboard with your face at my house. No, I'm just kidding. Nice. <laughs> no, it's, we um, <laughs> it's weird. We, uh, so my wife and I, we, we wake up and, like check our emails, you know, our business email, our social media, um, really important nowadays to, to be in any industry, I think. Um, and we check our untapped and it's, you know, initially when it's your beer, even though I've been at other breweries and I've seen reviews of my beer, you know, beer I've made and designed, um, when it's your company, your beer and sort of your, you know, financial, your kid, your, yeah. and your kid. it's yeah. like watching your kid kind of like your go baby. down in flames. Like, I, I'd lie to you if I said I put this much effort into previous attempts. It's just not possible. This is my company now. So, yeah. you know, we, we sort of see it. And, you know, some guys really love it and some people don't love it. And that's just the nature of anything, anywhere. And I think now more than ever with social media at the peak, you know, the biggest it's ever been. And, you know, people have a, a platform and a voice. Everyone is voicing their opinions. And I think that's great. That's what makes our country great. But also you've met a few people in your life that you'd probably say, that guy should never voice his opinion. Yeah. Uh, somebody said something, and I'll censor it for radio, but somebody, you know, commented on my Instagram. It was a really positive thing. It's like, hey, man, I met you at the release. Uh, you seem like a really nice, humble guy. And then I was like, wow, that's really endearing. That's cool. And then he went on to say, not like a you know, bag of whatever, like most guys. And I'm like, why'd you have to bring the negative into yeah. it? Like, yeah, not like most brewer or brewery owners or whatever. It's like, 
Okay. Well, thanks for voicing your opinion publicly in front of thousands of people. Um, the compliment would have been nice. Not necessary. I mean, yeah. that's the thing with social media. People, again, it is, you know, as a person who actually does that kind of stuff, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it beer subjective. You know, it's what each person gets out of it individually. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it is what it is. But at the same time, there's a lot of people out there just throw stuff out there for the sake of throwing stuff out there yeah. and it doesn't make any sense do you know what i mean and you just what you can do is just um make good beers which uh which i would say this whole group room thinks you do i mean you probably don't think you make good beers but we'll see, we'll I, see i'll give do. myself that credit i think <laughs> yeah. i think we make good beers we really put a lot of work into it and i lose a lot of sleep over it and yeah. I hope, so i hope it's worth it um i just think if i had to say one thing that i'm a little bit disappointed about in the beer industry even though I guess someone would classify me as a brewery that capitalizes, not capitalizes intentionally, but is benefiting from, you know, a hype and a following and being flavor of the day right now. Um, I think the most harmful thing to the industry is when people take things and they take their opinions one step further and personally attack people. I mean, at the, at the heart of it, we're, do, we're all in this for the love of beer. It's, it should not be like a, a personal vendetta or a personal insulting thing like... Let's all be adults, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I mean, I think I, I think one thing that would sum it up perfectly would be uh, this: like you know, each each one of your can releases have gotten a little bit better and better, and more people are lining up. And when I stopped by last Sunday just to kind of touch base with uh, with you about this weekend, the first thing when I said, "Hey, how's it going?" the first thing out of your mouth was, "Man, we need to get coffee or donuts or something in the morning because there's a ton of people outside." It wasn't like, "Hey, man, look at the look at the line we have." It's like, "Hey, there's a bunch of people. It's cold out in the morning. I think I need to get some coffee and donuts for these people." Yeah, so. I just felt I every time we release a can, I feel like crap because. <laughs> I I just feel like these people are doing so much to get it, it's so cool but at the same time you're like how can I help these people we had this one guy Jose show up in line at like 7:30 for a noon can release so I started giving him free beer and then I'm like <laughs> anybody who shows up this early you know first person who shows up gets free beer this like Take, you're uh-oh. awesome like <laughs> yeah. way to light that candle yeah, so Four so the then morning. after that Jose beat people out twice before he just wakes up <laughs> earlier so then people started catching on in line but it's not it's really not like a marketing thing like I feel like crap these people are out there giving their whole Basically, their whole day, you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut plates, they give me their entire day. What's that worth at even minimum wage? You know what I'm saying? Plus, they spend money on you. So I was thinking last time, like, man, we need coffee or donuts or, like, live entertainment or I'll, like, get a banana hammock and do dances in the parking lot or something for these people to get their money's worth, you know. And if you're going to end a show on any term... It's a term, <laughs> banana hammock. So there you go. That's a great show. We could keep talking. Other, uh, we're up against it. I mean, obviously, we could be here for a couple more hours, but yeah. Super great show. Check out Joe. His release is the whole nine. Soul Artist Nails down at um, SBC Brewing. Uh, one year anniversary coming up. Next week, we're going to have uh, Dock Street Brewing from Philadelphia on, so tune in for that. And uh, hopefully, you guys have a great Sunday. Enjoy some great beers, and we'll hope to see you next week on a Beer Geeks and WLK. Okay.